uh, for the opportunity to come up here and share what God's doing in my life and with my family. Also, uh, just very thankful for Bluemont Church for the past three years. Uh, when we first got here to Fort Riley, my wife, Emily, and I, uh, we've built a lot of great friendships with all of you and um, just feel like our family has grown spiritually here. So thank, thank all of you for that. Uh, yeah, like she said, my name's Casey Pierce. Uh, I'm a warrant officer in the United States Army and I fly Black Hawk helicopters. Some of the stresses that I deal with on a regular is uh, from everything you have to learn, being a pilot, to the dangers of flying, to dealing with people, to the struggle of not knowing when and where the Army's gonna move our family next. So, yeah, uh, one of the stories I wanna share with you is going back to when I first started flying the first time, hopping into a helicopter. there's a lot of training leading up to it, about a, about a year of training, uh, going through courses and things like that, and then you get to hop into a helicopter. But you don't learn the startup sequence, how to start the aircraft. You don't learn how to pick it up off the ground. The instructor does that, brings it to a 10-foot hover, stabilizes the aircraft, and then transfers the controls to you and says, all right, don't kill us. And for me, it was very difficult. It was, it was a struggle to just understand what the wind is doing, get it. And uh, most of my peers moved on to other maneuvers, and I was still stuck in parking. And I remember the instructor grabbing the controls back and putting the aircraft on the ground and saying, man, I just don't get it. Most students have it down by now. Maybe this isn't for you. And that was uh, very difficult to, uh, to hear from an instructor. Uh, I felt defeated. I remember going home that night asking God why and uh, talking to my wife, Emily, and family. They were encouraging, saying, you know, don't give up. But I remember a scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. So, you know, God helped me to um, I can't succeed on my own strength and ability. Like, I needed God, and I feel like that struggle and that failure and mistakes were shown so that I could see that I needed his help. So the next morning, I went to work not focusing on the negatives and my mistakes. I focused on the positives and Small victory. So whenever I got back up to the hover, I didn't focus on the mistakes. I focused on the pedals and not letting the aircraft yaw left and right and just mastering that and building on on that. So, you know, over time, I was able to master the hover, move on to other maneuvers, and I'm still flying today. So I just thank God for that. And the uh, so another str- a more recent struggle is not knowing when and where my family will be moving next. Uh, Typically, the way it works, every three to four years, the Army will identify certain people to move. And I was notified in October 2017 uh, to leave Fort Riley. Uh, Didn't know where we were going. They just give you a list of jobs as a pilot and duty stations uh, that you can go to. And me and my family, being from the south, we wanted to move back down to Fort Rucker, Alabama, because that's the closest to our families. 
and we are expecting our second child, so we wanted to be close to friends and family. So, uh, yeah, we've just been praying through that, um, you know, and it's just a waiting game, and it was extremely difficult just uh, being patient in that, you know, checking my email, not hearing anything, my wife asking every day, hey, uh, did you get an email, you know, family asking. And uh, the no later, the projected no later than date kept changing from the beginning of January to January 17th to February 1st of this year. And, yeah, uh, we ended up this past Thursday, late afternoon, on the no later than date, got received an order that we will be moving in the exact opposite direction, in the middle of nowhere, to the desert of Fort Irwin, California. And, uh, yeah, it was just a shock. It was very difficult to, uh, you know, at, at the time it felt like we were being let down, but already we're starting to see the goodness of God in this assignment. So when our first daughter, Adeline, was six months old, I deployed to Afghanistan, and it was a difficult time for our family because I missed a lot of Adeline's first, her crawling, walking, her first birthday, and... Uh, with this new assignment, they already told me that it'll be a three-year non-deployable unit. So I'll be there for our new babies, all her first, so or his first. So, yeah, just thankful for that and uh, truly believe that there's other blessings that we just don't realize yet because it's the, the news is still new. We're just thankful to finally have news. And, uh, yeah, so over the past 11 years, it's been very challenging. But God has given me the ability to do my job, and I just uh, have learned to be confident in God and to trust that he's leading me so that I don't get overwhelmed at work with stress. So, yeah, thank you. That's great, Casey. It's a good reminder. It's just day in, the little things. God's with me in this little. I can go through the day. But honestly, I don't think the pressure you've experienced compares to the pressure when you go home after announcing to everybody that Emily's pregnant. (laughs) What? (laughs) You're just all. Well, our next speaker has been a friend of ours for many, many years. Ryan Hickman um, studied law, was um, a lawyer for several years before joining the nonprofit Call to Greatness. He has been president of Call to Greatness, but now serves as vice president of development. I'm not sure what exactly that means. (laughs) He's basically the glue behind um, uh, our campus ministry, our movement. So Ryan, come on up. He's going to tell us more about how to handle pressure. All right. Thanks, Reagan. So it's good to be here with you all this morning. And uh, Casey, thanks for sharing. Um, it's, it's incredible to me when, uh, when you don't know somebody and then you begin to hear their story and you begin to understand that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It could be anybody sitting in this room or anybody that you walk by every day, whether it's on campus or in your job place, that they all have stresses and pressures that you're just unaware of. And, and I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves that when we're in the grocery store, when we're, you know, at the DMV doing whatever we're doing because we're there for multiple hours on end, <laughs> that 
that that person next to you may have just gone through something like Casey went through, right. of having a having an instructor be like, "Man, I don't know if this is if you were meant for this," and uh, and there are challenges and stresses and pressures like that that every single one of us go through every single day, right. and I really believe that number one, God created us for work. And so because he created us for work, he understood that there were going to be situations like that for every single one of us every single day. And I think he designed it that way. And, and more so, and I'll, I'll give you the secret now, but more than, you know, more than anything, because he wants to grow us up. He wants to mature us. He wants to make us to be people who have something to give other people, to be able to help them in that time of pressure and that time of stress that they have. And we can't do that unless we have done that, unless we've had that. Like, we can't help somebody else get through something if we've never learned how to overcome something. So, this morning, really, I, wanna, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to kind of use this passage uh, throughout uh, the message this morning. And I don't usually do this uh, when I speak, so this is a little bit weird for me to do this, but... Um, but I felt like that's what I was supposed to do, is just take this passage and then kind of lay it out. So let's begin by reading in Luke 12, verses 22 through 34, and then, uh, and then we'll go through it. But in Luke 12, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says this. He's, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hope this morning that we understand what a privilege it is to hear from Jesus. And that's what you just did. And listening to those words, that literally is Jesus talking to you. That is Jesus giving his explanation to you about what it is when you have times of worry, when you have times of stress, what it is that you should focus on. And That's why I want to take some time to go through that this morning, because I think so often when we read the Bible, we forget, especially in the red letter edition in the New Testament when Jesus is talking, we forget that this is Jesus 
talking to us. So when we encounter stress, when we encounter problems, when we have challenges, we can simply go to the Word and have Jesus, the Creator of heaven and earth, talk to us. What an incredible privilege. So let's pray this morning before we get started. Father, I thank You for Your words. We thank You that you want to communicate to us, that you want to talk to us, that you want to encourage us, and that you want to give us an incredible life um, filled with your presence and your passion. So God, I pray that this morning that we encounter that in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, so this morning I want you to think about very briefly a few things. I just have a couple questions for you. Number one, what stresses you out? What stresses you out? What are you afraid of? What do you worry about on a daily basis? And what is it that you fixate on regularly that attacks your attention span? Everybody think of something? Something coming to mind? A couple of things? Okay, good. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forget about that for at least the next 20 minutes, okay, and try to focus. I just wanted, really just wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one that had problems. Um, And now that I know I'm not, I can confidently carry on. So, you know, in the passage we just read from Luke, Jesus is addressing problems. He's addressing anxiety, worry, stress. Something that all of us are very familiar with on a daily basis. And we all deal with them in our own unique ways. We all have um, coping mechanisms that we've developed in our lives that are, if we all sat down and talked with each other, we'd probably be like, well, that's interesting, but not very helpful. Uh, Maybe you should try something else. Um, and, And I've got to confess, when Jonathan asked me to talk on this topic, my immediate thought was, well, you probably need to find someone else. Um, because it, it was interesting, because even the day that he talked to me, I was having a migraine. And so over the years, I frequently had migraines. And some of those are dealing with allergies and stuff like that. But a lot of it's just stress. Like, I get these just nasty stress migraines. And so Jonathan's like, dude, you'd be great to talk about this. I'm like, dude, I have a stress headache right now. Like, I can't literally can't even think about doing this. And, um, and so I just didn't think I was probably the best choice. But it's interesting how God works in funny ways. Um, so in verse 22, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear. Now, this has probably got to be one of the most broken commandments in the Bible, (laughs) right? I mean, Jesus is like, hey, don't worry about it. But every day, what do we do? We worry about those things. You know, we wake up or we go to sleep. We're thinking about finances, you know, or we wake up in the morning and then we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, dang, like, what happened, you know, or... (laughs) And then if you have teenagers, you go out, you get dressed, and you go out, and they're like, you're wearing that? It's like, I mean, like every little thing, it's like, man, what? No, seriously? Okay, I'll go back. I'll change. But regardless of what it is, we often find ourselves 
not following this command of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and we allow the pressures of life, the stress, the anxiety to begin to wear us down. So I want to talk a little bit about what is anxiety. And to me, anxiety is this. Anxiety is an uneasiness of mind or a fearful concern. An uneasiness of mind or a fearful concern. And anxiety really can come in kind of two different formats. It can come in a specific uh, or a non-specific. And the specific are those that are just common to life. So our health, our finances, our jobs, our relationships. But then there are also the non-specific anxiety. And that really is that kind of vague, unknown thing. It's that constant plaguing that we can't really define, but it causes a dread or a fear or thinking that something bad is just going to happen. We're scared, but we don't really know why. And I think it begins, that, that particular part of a non-specific anxiety begins with this understanding that we're kind of cast into the world with no real purpose or nothing really to do, or nothing to accomplish. And we're told from an early age that, that we're mistakes, that we're some you know, strange result of an evolutionary process, that time plus goo equals you. you know? And so you kind of start from that premise, and you're like, well, dang, there's really, like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, if that's me and that's you, then we're just goo. That's kind of messed up there's not really much so there's just this this thing inbred in our culture with that as a beginning of an understanding or a way of thinking that produces this constant unknown this constant dread this constant fear and it's really not until you come into a relationship with Christ and begin to understand how God made things and how we have a purpose of beginning to reconcile all things back to God in the way that he made them, that we begin to live out the purpose that we have. And so, you know, as, as I begin thinking about, um, about this kind of non-specific anxiety, it was interesting when I began thinking about what were some of the things that Jesus um, would constantly tell, you know, tell people not to do, right? And so obviously one was you know, not to worry is what we're reading about today. But, but I think most of us that are raised in this kind of, well, in the culture that we live in, you think of Christianity as like a whole bunch of rules, right? Like, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. And so it's like, man, Christianity is like the do not religion, right? And, but what do you think the biggest prohibition in the Bible is of the do nots? that God the Father and Jesus repeat over and over. Do you think it's one of those? No, the biggest one is do not fear. Do not fear. It's amazing that the thing that Jesus and God the Father constantly want to remind us of is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, because they knew that in the midst of this world that fear would try to conquer us and try to keep us from doing what God had created us for. You know, a recent research poll found that the number one thing that men worry about is, any guesses, money, right? Money. And so the fear of being able to provide is the top concern. And when you dig a little bit more into that, it was when men were single, it was pretty high on the list. 
But as soon as they entered that contract of marriage, it like skyrocketed to the top. Because men had a fear of being able to provide for their loved ones, for their family, and for their children. Now, I would suggest to you that the same is true for women. But that is very high upon the list. This particular research was just dealing with the fellas. But guess what, when you get into a group of men, is one of the least things talked about ever in the history of a group of guys. I mean, last night we had, a, we had a bunch of people over. One of my daughter's volleyball teams was in town. And so we had probably like 12 different dads just over and we're hanging out. We talked about sports. We talked about the weather. We talked about sports. We talked about the weather. You know, but never, never. I mean, how many times in a group of guys have you ever talked about John, I've got, I'm just like really struggling with like this fear that I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. Come on. Like dudes just don't do that, right? So it's like the highest priority, the number one thing that guys are afraid of, and the last thing that guys will ever talk about. It's crazy what we do with the things that cause us anxiety. And that's just one example of fears and anxiety that plague people. But there are many. For some of us, there isn't really maybe a job of providing or a fear of providing, but maybe it's a fear of performing or being unable to handle the job that's in front of us. You know, I'm sure that night when Casey went home, that there was this, on the drive home, when he's getting ready to go home and talk to his wife, that there's this fear that tried to envelop him. Like, man, you're not going to be able to cut it. You can't provide. You can't. And, and you have to learn how to fight to overcome that. I remember when I was first practicing law. And I was just a couple of months out of law school. And, and my boss had asked me to drive from Topeka to some small town out in western Kansas that will remain nameless. And I was supposed to go there to argue a motion that we were handling in a case. So my boss made certain how important I knew that we needed to win this particular motion. Like, it was imperative for winning the case. And and that we needed a favorable ruling from the judge. So I researched the law around the issue. I spent hours and hours making sure that I knew this backwards and forwards. I knew every single thing about the details of the case, about the case law from other jurisdictions, everything. Wrote it, put it into a brief, practiced it at home, began, went over and over and over. And that week, I drove my wife nuts. Drove her nuts, because I would just get home, and I'm like, no, I can't do anything, I can't watch the kids, I can't, like, you're on your own, baby. I got this job. And, uh, and so I drove her crazy, and I was a wreck. And so the day finally came, I had a four and a half hour drive. Drove out to western Kansas, I arrived at the courthouse, and I was nervous, I was about ready to puke, and, and I found out that the plaintiff's attorney didn't even show up. So I'm like, dude, this is like, I got a pretty good shot here. The other guy didn't even show up, all I got to do is go in and argue my motion for the judge, and we're out of here. And so, feeling pretty good, I stood up and I looked at the judge, and, and I said, I said, may it please the court, because that's what you do in court to make the judges feel good about themselves. And, 
And I said, may I go ahead and make my argument? And the judge <laughs> was sitting there, and he bent his head down and looked over his spectacles. I remember he looked at me, and he goes, Counselor, you're not from around here. And my heart just sunk. And he goes, I know you're some pricey, slick lawyer from out east. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I can read. I've already read the motions. I've already read the briefs. And I already made my decision. I don't know why you drove down here. <laughs> Son, I'm ruling against you. The motion's dismissed. Get on home. And at that point, I was like, well, in my head, I'm thinking, so do I like have to say something so that we can preserve this on appeal? Or do I just leave? And I was, I was lost. I was confused. You talk about anxiety. It was through the roof. And I was like, well, your honor, may I read my arguments? That was the last thing I should have said. And he said, I thought I told you, you may go on home. I said, thank you, your honor. Have a great day. And I drove four and a half hours back home. You can imagine the stress and the anxiety. The last thing I had heard from my boss, we need to win this motion. This is in the day of like pre-cell phone, where it's just like, hey boss, uh, you got any suggestions? It was, you know, this was like cargo box phones, you know, <laughs> only call if somebody died or whatever because it's so expensive. And so for four and a half hours on the way home, I am just stressing out. And I go home, and my wife is there, and I'm still stressed out. I drive her nuts for one more night. I'm like, what am I going to say? I've only been practicing for two months. I'm thinking, I go in tomorrow morning, it's done. It's over. It's like, what did you do? How did, like, you idiot. You don't. And so all night, I'm up. I'm stressing out. And I walk into the office the next morning. And I explained to my boss what had happened. And he looks at me, and he laughs. And he goes, why are you so worried? <laughs> and he goes, that guy's a real prick. We never went down there. <laughs> I was like, he goes, we just needed to file the motion so we could appeal. I didn't want to drive four and a half hours, so I sent you. <laughs> I was like, dude, why didn't you tell me that? And he goes, well, everybody's got to learn the hard way. <laughs> but literally all the stress, all the worry, all the anxiety. And for what? For what? I mean, really, where was I putting my confidence? Where was I putting my trust? And why was I so worried? Why was I so worried? In verse 24, Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn. Have you ever seen a raven 
like go pick up a seed and then fly to a plot of land and then bury that seed and then like take its wings and scoop the dirt over it and then bring water. No, okay, nobody has, that's good. Because they don't do that. And they also don't store it. They don't harvest it. They don't harvest the crop. They don't go store it somewhere for a later time. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? It's a good question. Why do we worry? Truthfully, worry is a judgment on my faith and confidence in God. Worry is a judgment about my faith and my confidence in God. Repeatedly, God says, fear not, for I am with you. If we really believe this, why would we ever be afraid of anything? If we really believe that what we believe is real, why would we ever be afraid? Jesus promises that he will always be with us, even to the ends of the earth. Many of the Psalms are about developing a confidence and a trust in a good God who cares infinitely about you and what happens in your daily lives. Jesus continues by asking us to consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Not a single lily in a field has ever punched a time clock or worked their little hands by spending hours working to knit or to fashion something together to put over themselves. Not a single one has done that. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? You see, Jesus isn't saying that work or labor isn't important. Far from it. We were created to do that because we were created in his image and he loves work. But Jesus is saying that in the midst of our work, in the midst of our labor, in the midst of the things that we do every day, we can do one thing. We can trust Him. We can trust Him in that. Solomon, for all the work and the productivity that went into his spectacular wardrobes and everything that everybody did to make him look powerful and mighty and strong and wonderful... Jesus is saying, despite all of the things that were put into that, and into creating everything that went around his entourage and making him look the way that he looked, that that was nothing in comparison to even the way that he took to take pains to make sure that the lilies of the field were magnificent. And so if he's going to do that for the things that grow up and then are cast into the fire... How much more is he going to put into the masterpiece of his creation, which is you? That's what Jesus, the Son of God, is communicating in this passage to you. Is how incredibly magnificent and important you are and how much he will care for you. So if the created order that doesn't bear his image is taken care of and his every need met, then we as people 
can also trust Him to take care of us. So Jesus continues by saying, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. You know, one of the primary solutions to overcoming the pressures of life is perspective and priority. Perspective and priority. If you're facing pressures in your life, no matter what they are, whether they're in a job or in relationship or, you know, if there are things that are taking place over, over at K-State at the school, if you begin to change your perspective, if you begin to change your priorities, what Jesus is saying is that things will go much better for you. Because your priorities, when they are realigned, will begin to reduce the stress. And so he goes a little bit more into talking about how this works. You know, is it, I, I, and I wondered when I was reading through that, I, is it any wonder that... <clears throat> When you think about helping prevent depression or helping prevent anxiety, there's really two things that are common to to most diagnoses that are given for this. And those two things are this, thankfulness and serving others. So in clinical depression, a lot of times the the psychiatrist or the psychologist will say, well, hey, let's let's do this. We'll, We'll practice, find somebody that you can serve this week. And then come back and tell me how that went. Why do they do that? Because they understand that when we begin to change our perspective, when we begin to focus not on us and what's going on in our own lives, and we begin to look at somebody else that has a need, and we find a way to meet that need, that it helps us. Crazy, right? You're like, wait, how do I help me without thinking about me? Well, I don't know. But even the smartest people in the world have figured out that that works. Could be that that's the way God made it. So in this passage, Jesus is encouraging us to seek his kingdom rather than setting our eyes on ourselves, our wants, our desires, and our needs. He encourages us by saying that God knows and cares about our needs and that those will be met as we give ourselves to seeking his kingdom. I want to make just kind of a quick point here that there is a difference between seeking God and seeking His kingdom. In Romans, it tells us that there are none who seek God. So that in and of ourselves, when we're just walking around in the world outside of a relationship with God, it's not us who seeks Him. But it's us, it's Him who is actively seeking after us. It is God who reveals himself to us and makes himself known to us so that we can have a relationship with him because sin has come and caused us so that we're literally walking around with blinders and we couldn't find God even if we were trying to seek after him but the love of God compels us towards him and he reaches out and draws us into relationship with him and then once he has drawn us into a relationship with him Then he tells us to seek his kingdom. In other words, to realign our priorities, realign our perspective on what it is that we were meant for, that we were created for, and what we should give our lives to. 
And that we should give our lives towards the thing that He lays out in His Word, His kingdom, His righteousness, His peace, His joy, making the lives of others around us better and being a blessing to those around us. So he continues. Well, let me ask this question. And it's really something I want you to wrestle with. And that is, what is it that I do under pressure? Like, what's my go-to when pressure starts to envelop me? When there's something at my job or something in school that's really difficult, what's my go-to move under pressure? What happens to my priority structure under pressure? What happens when things become difficult at work or in relationships or in my finances? Do I continue to trust God? After a demotion, do I continue to trust God? How about this? After a promotion, do I continue to trust God? Do I continue to seek God and His interest over my own? And I love how Jesus then goes back to a common refrain after telling his disciples to seek first his kingdom. He then says this. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. Why does he have to say that? If you start asking yourself the question, why did Jesus say stuff when you're reading the Bible? You're going to get a lot more insight and revelation, so I encourage that. But he says, do not be afraid. Why? Because even though he just said that the Father will take care of us, and he had just asked them, the problem was he had just asked them to seek an interest first other than their own. And what does that produce in us? Fear. Because if I'm not looking out for number one, who is? Anyone else ever been there? He's like, Jesus, that sounds really good, but dude, I still got it. Like, ain't nobody else looking out for me. How am I going to do this? And if you grew up, I mean, I grew up in a great home, but even in my home, it's like, dude, you got to look out for number one. And it's just ingrained in our culture that that's what we're supposed to do. So it is scary. This is what keeps us up at night. If I don't look out for me, who will? If I don't look out for my kids, who will? If I don't look out for my spouse, who will? What if I don't get an A on that next project? What if I don't get that internship that I've been working for for the last year and a half? What if, what if, what if? Do not be afraid, for your Father has pleased to give you the kingdom. This kingdom is both a here and now and an eternal kingdom. And the great news is, is that God has your interest, your best at heart, both in the here and now and for eternity. God is not saying not to work hard, not to be diligent, not to plan, not to give your all. Because he expects that you will do these things. But he's giving you a better way to live with a better end result. 
And because this is true, he wants you to live freely. And that's what I hope you understand out of everything that Jesus has said here today, is that Jesus is trying to create an atmosphere in which you can live free. He wants you to be free. To give your all. To invest the best of everything that you have in everything around you. That when you go to work, you're giving 100% at work. But you're simply leaving the results in His hands. Can you imagine living that kind of life of freedom? But it's when our priorities and our perspectives shift that we're able to do that. And that's why Jesus lays this out. And that's why Jesus can then say, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus isn't saying go divest yourselves of all earthly possessions or that owning a home is evil and having a savings account is bad. What he is saying is be generous. Live a generous life. Be a blessing. Be a good steward. Because in doing so, there is blessing both now and in eternity. And in doing so, and here's the secret, in doing so, in living this lifestyle of freedom and generosity, it breaks the back of anxiety and worry. Because it puts yourself in a position where you're fully trusting God. And when we trust God, and when we have that kind of relationship where we're, we're, we're able to, to say, God, I gave everything that I had. I did it to the best of my ability. There's nothing that I'm going to second guess about that because with every talent that you gave me, I did the best that I could. He's going to honor that every single time. You know, when I think back about that first encounter that I had as a lawyer going off to western Kansas, how much different that ride home would have been had I simply known that, man, I did everything I was supposed to do. I did everything that I could, and God, I'm just going to leave the results up to you. Now, God used it as an opportunity to say, Ryan, Wake up. I mean, when my boss laughed at me that morning, it literally, and and this is a guy who was like not godly at all, right? I mean, yeah, he just wasn't. I can tell you story after story. But I remember being in his office that morning, and he looked at me and he goes, why are you so worried? And it literally was as if God himself was speaking and just saying, Ryan, what are you doing? You've ruined a week of this life that I gave you because you're worried about something that your boss was just going to laugh about anyway. (laughs) But if we could begin to see the difference and begin to see the freedom that God wants us to live in, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And in the end, isn't that really what it's all about? The treasure 
that when our heart is connected to the heart of Father God, that we can live in freedom and we can be a blessing to everyone around us. Amen? So let me pray for us. I know the worship team's going to come up. Um, and what I want us to do this morning as they come up and, and uh, is I want us to just take a moment and to reflect upon Maybe some of the things that you brought here this morning, some of the worries or anxieties or concerns. And I want you just to begin to, as you're, you know, just have your eyes, yeah, it's eyes closed and heads bowed. But as you do that, I just want you to begin to, on one hand, think about those things that you brought in. But then on the other hand, begin to think about these words of Jesus and begin to honor him by simply making the choice right now to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm going to give my all, but I'm going to leave the results up to you because I trust you because you are good. And then as the worship team begins to play, they're, they're going to begin to sing about the wonderful name of Jesus. And I want us just in our hearts, as those words begin to come out of our mouths, just to release those fears, release those anxieties, and to begin to really worship Jesus for who He is, the wonder of everything that He has given us, and allow the freedom of God to come into our hearts in those areas. Amen? So, Father God, I just ask right now that as we do this and as um, even as the words are sung, God, that you would release freedom. God, that you would begin to break off chains, that you would begin to break off ways of thinking, that you would begin to break off mindsets. God, even that, that mindset of, i got to take care of number one. God, that you would break that off in the name of Jesus. God, the idea that that if I made a mistake, that I am a failure. God, that you break that off because our failures don't define us. So, Father, I ask for freedom in every single one of those areas, and God, that we may simply release those to you and worship the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.